All right, welcome back. Hey, we are here on location, first time ever, uh, in Springfield, Illinois, at the University of Illinois Springfield. And today, my guest is Coach Ryan Copeland. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. A pleasure, pleasure to be on. And this is also, if you're watching here on YouTube land, um, one of the first live ones I've done on, well, the first live one I've done here on this podcast. And we've got two cameras going, so we're gonna have a, a cool high-tech uh, learning experience here today with 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 Cope. Um, but if you don't know much about uh, Illinois Springfield, highly successful program in large part to, because of the efforts of this guy. Um, and Coach Copeland here is, is one of the, the best pitching minds out here in the Midwest. Uh, 32nd round pick as a player out of Illinois State, uh, chosen by the Cardinals. Appalachian League Pitcher of the Year, his first year. Um, you're also Pitcher of the Month, a bunch of accolades in there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, crafty lefty. Well, I shouldn't say crafty because you were a hard thrower. You're up to what? Up to in the peaking into the mid 90s uh, as, a, as, a, as a pitcher out of the bullpen. Um, and then you were a coach at Illinois State, your alma mater for a couple years. And then now you've been here at UIS for what, four years? Yeah, yeah. And my fourth year here at UIS took over as the uh, the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator um, in the summer of 2015 after spending one year at Illinois State. So, yeah, I've been here ever since. Uh, you know, love what we're doing here and trying to keep it rolling. Yeah, so we're here in the Student Union. Awesome, awesome building, by the way. Like, really cool modern uh, architecture. Just, you know, and we were right, what, a day into spring break or uh, into winter break for all the kids? Yeah, we had finals last week. Um, guys kind of split out, you know, in the middle of the week. A lot of them didn't have finals through the end of the week. So they've been gone for about a week now, and uh, they'll be gone all the way until January 12th when they come back and report for uh, kind of early uh, pitchers and catchers camp and uh, after break. So When's your first game where you guys uh, starting out? We open up February 16th down in Atlanta, Georgia, um, at the at the Lake Point Complex. Which um, actually they're just, gonna just changed ownership, you, right? Yeah, they were they were perfect game forever. I yeah. think since they opened it in 2013, and um, they've uh, they've now been bought by by PBR, which is just a whole other monster in its own. <laughs> and they just keep taking taking more and more, and uh, they've done a great job. So yeah, we we've gone to Atlanta now. This will be our fourth straight year going to Atlanta. Um, you know, really, really cool trip every year. Um, you know, beautiful fields. It's, it's cool to get down south a little bit, and we've been very, very fortunate with, with weather down there. So we open up against Saginaw Valley State, um, three-game series down there in the first, or the second weekend of February. So, nice. So, if you don't know much about uh, UIS uh, logo, their mascot, the Prairie Stars, and you guys were forty-seven and nine last year. Yeah, forty-seven <laughs> That's and nine. Crazy. You know, what's actually more crazy about that is that we started the year zero and three. Wow, we, so we we got swept at forty-seven uh, and six. Yeah, goes the way got swept at Missouri Southern to start the year. Um, ended up going on an eight-game run. We lost another game to Hillsdale um, here at home in, in early March, and then rattled off twenty-nine in a row. So good God! I was gonna say, like, if you start doing the math, that's like you win eight for every every loss, pretty much from the from there out after that opening yeah. sweeper. That's crazy. Yeah, had a had a really really good team and just. Uh, it got to the point where it wasn't really a matter if you're going to win or not. It was just, you know, what kind of game are you going to win? Is it going to be the the one where you can get some guys in and get some at bats, or is it going to be one you gotta you gotta kind of fight through and uh, you know grind it out a little bit? So that's crazy. I mean, baseball just. I mean, you and I know. I mean, how many times have you made a good pitch, given up a blooper that costs you a run, costs you a game? There's just so much luck involved in baseball, and to be like a a 90% winner, it's just. We, Crazy. we actually we talked we've talked about that in the office as a coaching staff that it just seems so crazy that 
we never just gave up the three-run home run late Yeah. to just, hey, you just lost the game. They just got you. It almost happened a couple times. And uh, there was one game at McKendree. We were playing down at uh, – at the River City Rascals place, which maybe you're Van, familiar Van with, Box, yeah. yeah oh yeah, it's like three, it's like three twenty-five to the yeah, right. If the whole gap. team goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it'll it'll yeah. get out. So we actually, uh, one of our best relievers. He's actually one of the one of the only relievers we lost. His name's Sam Geraci, sidearm guy. Um, you probably appreciate him. Yeah. And just slider after slider after slider it was unbelievable all year. Um, they just got him. He gave up a five spot. We blew a lead in the eighth inning. Um, Cole Taylor comes up with a guy on base in the ninth inning, our shortstop that sent him with the, the Angels, and um, hits a two-run home run to left field to take the lead, and then uh, we end up winning that game. We had a couple games like that, but we just always won them. It was it was unbelievable. So that's got to be fun playing baseball when you're yeesh. just you just know like well we're we're just gonna go ahead and win mm-hmm. today. You know yeah. like, it doesn't matter like someone's gonna pick us up, and that seems like the mark of good teams where like someone's just gonna get it done. Yeah, you know, and and we were last year's team was so unbelievably talented. Um, we could say what two guys that had over twenty jacks. Yeah, Mike Rothman had twenty four. Nick Stakowski, who was a, a Central Michigan transfer, a one year guy, um, he had twenty three as our DH. And the kind of the funny thing about about Stowe, he didn't play a single out defensively for us. He was actually <laughs> just the, hit dingers. We played fifty six games, and he he. He played 56 games at designated hitter. Wow. So he was the true DH, you know, Edgar Martinez style. So, yeah, we were super, super talented. I mean, we hit 104 home runs as a as an offense, um, led the nation. I think second in all of college baseball behind Tennessee Tech. But they ended up playing about 65 games because of the regional, super regional, all that. So gotcha. I had a remarkable year. But our guys also were very, very tough. And we found some ways to win some games that we shouldn't have that – um, shouldn't get overlooked because, uh, you know, we had some grit, we had some toughness, we had some really good leadership that, um, you know, kind of that will to win. Our guys really had that last year. So you put that together with the toughness and yeah. the talent, and, uh, and and we pitched the heck out of it last year too. And I, I guess that's kind of what you get is the, the 47 wins. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you uh, – so obviously like we've – so Ryan and I have met just like sort of on the recruiting trail. Obviously I own Warbird Academy, which is an hour up the road, and, you know, we've – I've just – was it just probably an email at some point where I said, hey, we've yeah. got some guys, and you responded, yeah. which I appreciate because some coaches don't. But, <laughs> um, you know, we've just gone back and forth at times, just like, hey, I've, I've got a kid you should look at, or, you know, hey, do you have anyone in the area? Have you seen this guy? And um, that's pretty much been our relationship. But, you know, we've talked a bunch about character of kids, about toughness, and some kids, when they come onto campus, they step foot, and they've wanted to play college baseball their whole life, and they get here, and then maybe a month later, they're gone they quit it doesn't fit or whatever um and then yet you talk about your squad having so much grit and toughness and that seems almost abnormal for like the climate and like the type of kids that are out there now yeah we uh my first two years here uh, we kind of battled um us trying to kind of figure out who we are as a who we were as a program um and everybody talks about culture uh, you hear it so much yeah, it's, it's getting kind of cliche it's, almost. it's over yeah it's yeah. overstated and and my, my kind of like my self definition of culture is that that's kind of what everything appears to be on the outside that's what people think your program is like that's how people view your players but I think environment is so much more important than culture because environment 
is how things actually feel inside the program. So your culture is kind of outside and environment is your, your daily um, feel. What does it feel like at practice? What does it feel like on game day? What does it feel like in the weight room, um, in, in pitching ma- pitching meetings and in hitters meetings and, and all that type of stuff? So I think we've, we've finally kind of gotten over that bridge in terms of what we are as a program, who we want to be, what mm-hmm. we value in our players. And um, in the last couple of years, uh, we've actually maintained, it retained a lot of our players. Um, we've had very, very few leave, and um, the ones that have left have been more mutual. But, uh, yeah, that's something we fought, I think, early, especially in my time here, that it seems like we've gotten over the hump a little bit. Yeah. And I just think with any program, I was talking to this uh, – also Coach uh, Josh McDonald from UConn was on the show – couple weeks ago and he just kind of talked about how you know college baseball is hard like there's a huge learning curve you go and there's a very successful high school player you hit there as a freshman and suddenly you're just getting dominated potentially Mm -hmm. Um, especially as a young pitcher I think and then so he said like you've got to really love baseball and you've got to have mental toughness because it's just gonna suck for a while like and a lot of kids if they don't really love baseball and they don't really love the school that they're at and just like the overall atmosphere they're not gonna want to stick that out have you seen that kind of ring true with you and your yeah. experience? Um, I think the, the instant gratification um, of high school players that come in and maybe think that they should be playing right away, and, and that's certainly uh, that's a desirable goal, no doubt about yeah. it. Um, you know, that that's what you that's what you want. You want to come in and – How much do you get your freshman year? How much you pitch? I was – I got 20 – I got like 22 innings and like I, 21 yeah. appearances. Yeah, so I, I think – I was probably more the exception than the rule. Um, I joined a pretty bad team my freshman year. Um, we, I think, we won 20 games. You know, we were three and 18 in the Valley. We were not good. We got beat up by Wichita. Got beat up by Creighton. Got beat up by Missouri State. Yeah. Um, it just it was like auto sweeps going into those weekends. You know, um, I threw probably 60 innings, 65 innings. Um, but I definitely went through my growing pains and that was with the old bats, you know, yeah. and, um, gave up a lot of, lot of runs. And, uh, I think my ERA was in the fives. Um, but yeah, I think of our freshman class, I was probably the only one that really pitched. And I'm, I'm smirking because my, <laughs> it's funny. I was a bad college pitcher. I, like, I just, <laughs> it just took me a long time to figure it out. Yeah. And I was a much better, uh, pitcher after that. But my like plaque when I like graduated, it, my career numbers, I had like a six career. <laughs> so you're, yeah, your but bad you, freshman you, years, like screw you, you threw, Ryan. You, like, <laughs> you threw hard though. I think you threw pretty hard. I threw 80 as a freshman. But, <laughs> um, no, I think we, we both topped out, you and I, at 94. That was about yeah. all I had. But yeah. um, either way, you could get guys out. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Um, okay, but but that's a, a good talking point anyway. Like Depending on your program, you may have a chance to play as a freshman. You really may not, depending on who's in front of you and what opportunities you might have. Yeah, yeah I think – I think the goal when you re- when I recruit kids is that they can help you as a freshman. I think that's always the goal. You also need to be realistic and and understand that that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but the last thing you want to do as a coach is, is turn your back on a kid that maybe is taking a little bit longer to develop than you think he is he was supposed to. And that's not always just on the baseball field. That could just be growing up and, and mm-hmm. getting a kid to understand that he has to go to class and getting a kid to understand he has to take care of business off the field, you know, social, you know, the social aspect of college and, and understanding what your priorities are, you know, with academic, you know, athletic and then social. And if those start to get out of order, you're going to start to have issues there. So, um, I I think that's the biggest thing is, is recruiting kids that have the chance to help you early on as freshmen. Um, but then when they 
they're not going to and it becomes pretty clear or evident that they're not going to help you getting them to still believe in the plan in, in the process of um of them developing as a freshman to a sophomore and a sophomore to a junior and that they're understand that their time is going to come so yeah that's the that's the biggest challenge i think is is getting kids to to believe that they will have um that the time to develop and it will show it just might not be right away as a freshman but we've had a lot of success with freshmen three of our top five pitchers two years ago were freshmen um we had a freshman last year, Colton Hale from St. Joe Iden, who ended up throwing um, 35 innings. It was really one of our best relievers down the stretch and had a, num a number of freshman uh, position players get some at-bats and, um, and, and some looks out there in the field. So it happens. It just kind of depends on the guy, you know. Okay, so tell me a little bit about Division Two baseball. So I think it's – I think there's a lot of – like I personally, like I'm excited to hear your answer because I don't know that much about D2 baseball because you kind of, I think on the surface, just think, okay, well, there's – there's the high school draft picks. Then there's D1 baseball, which that's like, you know, the 88 to 90 pitchers, the premium athletes. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got junior college, you've got NAIA, you've got Division three, and they're all not necessarily like in any particular order. But then Division two kind of lays in the middle, and you're like, well, are those kids just like a little slower? Do they just throw a little slower? Do they not? Like it's, it's hard to understand, I think, what Division two is and why a kid – ends up at Division II baseball rather than Division One or Division Three. So help us understand a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think uh, it comes up with us a lot in recruiting just because um, I think as our recruiting coordinator, you know, I don't like to, to recruit quote-unquote Division Two players, right? I think yeah. we want to recruit Division One type players. Um, that for you know the numerous reasons end up choosing to go um, this route and it could be it could be something as simple as proximity to home it could be opportunity to play right away um, it could be the scholarship offer it could be the academics so um, what is the biggest difference well I'll give you the kind of the NCAA version first um, Division one gets 11.7 scholarships you know we only get we only get nine we, get, we had four at my school yeah yeah so <laughs> it depends you might not be fully funded so that's another thing exactly to know on the recruiting exactly trail. a lot a lot of programs even at the division one level aren't fully funded yeah. so they have the capacity to have 11.7 but they might have seven or eight and that really can, can hurt mm -hmm. you in recruiting um so we have slightly less scholarships um but you know what i think the we play 50 games we play 50 games instead of 56 but we do have a conference tournament. We do have postseason play. We have a World yeah. Series. You won't really feel those six games. Yeah, yeah. You, you Plus, know. baseball is kind of boring at times, especially if you're a pitcher. So, pitchers, you'll you'll appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and how many how many Division One schools up here are playing 56? We anyways? never did either in the Northeast. Yeah. We usually get like 50 or 48 in something yeah. like that. It's just it's just almost impossible with some of the weather, and it's getting better nowadays because of the turf fields. But yeah. it's still a struggle. But um, you know what? I think from a recruiting aspect, again, we we try to recruit guys with division one tools now what i would say about about you know maybe our players compared to a power five right um what's the difference between our guys and the guys at arkansas okay um we might have a guy that has one or two really big time tools whether it's the hit tool whether they are they do have a really good arm um they can really pick it defensively um and we tend to get the guys that maybe don't have four or five tools they have one or two yeah. Um, and so maybe they, they're a big donkey that can really swing it, but they struggle to play the field. They don't have a position. Yeah. Whereas the guy that has a position goes to the SEC. The guy that doesn't have the position falls to a mid-major type 
or a really, really good Division II school. So in recruiting, we compete a lot against mid-majors. Um, you know, we, we don't really recruit a whole lot against other Division II schools. It's, it's the mid-major programs where maybe their offer to them is slightly lower, and we can make them a little better offer and, and the better chance to play right away, and we end up getting that kid. So, um, you know, I think Division II baseball um, at the highest level is very, very good. There's a lot of talent. I think there was 105 Division II players drafted last year um, out, of, out of out of 1,200. So a pretty good percentage. Yeah. It, was, it was more than junior college. You know, and junior college has a pretty good rep for, like, developing players. So yeah. um, And Division yeah. III drops off a lot as far as drafts. For sure. Yeah, and for I, sure. I feel like one year, and this was probably – data from like eight years ago now but I feel like it was like 15 like not a whole yeah. lot most of them were pitchers and like a handful of catchers yeah I think division three um they, they play they still play so many less games than, yeah. than division one division two and yeah they're mostly pitchers because you know we just talked about off the air that stuff and velocity will play at any level so mm -hmm. usually it's the six four kid that went to the d3 because they were throwing 78 out of high school figured it out a little they bit. figured it out they got stronger and all of a sudden they're a 90-92 guy, and scouts say, hey, that guy can get pro hitters out for sure. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, so talk a little more on the fact that you said you don't recruit against other Division twos. So what exactly does that mean? I know you said you, you like yeah. to get those kids who are potential D1 guys who maybe don't get much of an offer. Maybe mm -hmm. they have to be a walk-on, but you can work with them. They can have a better chance to play. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but, like, what does that mean that you don't recruit against other D2s? Yeah, so, you know, mainly – when I talk to kids, of course, you're trying to gather information just like they're trying to gather information from us and our program and, and what we do as a, as, a, as a pitching staff and all that type of stuff. So one of the first things I'll ask a kid is, hey, who, who are you talking to? What kind of visits have you been on? Um, what are you interested in? You know, what's important for you? What are your goals? And Can, can uh, a kid be honest with you when you ask that? Yeah. Because um, if I, he's like, I've only been on a couple, are you like, okay, now you get 800 800 or less dollars in scholarship money. I mean, you know what? I, do you feel like they're truthful? I think um, they become more truthful the better the relationship gets. Yeah. So I think some kids have been coached to take calls from everybody. You know, hey, answer the coach, talk to the coach, be willing to visit. Um, as you start to develop a relationship, they sometimes might come back and say, hey, coach, listen. I've got five division one offers. I, I think, you know, that's always been my goal. And I'd rather have a kid tell me that than, yeah. than drag it on. And all of a sudden, we think we have a chance at this kid. But in his mind, he really has no intention on ever either visiting or coming yeah. to a Division two school um, or UIS. So, um, yeah, you know, I think when we recruit, it seems like the kids that we're always on, the kids that we get on campus um, – we never seem to lose them in recruiting to other GLVC schools, other GLIAC schools. Um, it happens once in a while. That's not to say it doesn't happen. It just seems like usually um, maybe we're, we're out kicking our coverage a little bit. Yeah. And we're recruiting the kid that has the mid-major offer to any of the state schools here in Illinois, surrounding Indiana, um, you know, obviously Iowa. They've done a great job out there with their program. Missouri's loaded with Division One and Division Two schools, so it seems like those are the kind of schools that we're losing guys to. Yeah. And it's usually the kid that has just always dreamed of going Division One route. And if that's a kid's ultimate goal, there's really not much you can do about that. You can't just change your title, and, and mm -hmm. um, you can try to plea with him and convince him that this might be the better opportunity for him. But 
at the end of the day, you can't fault a kid for wanting to go that route. And yeah, you, and we've had some. I mean, in our discussions back and forth with kids, we've had that same thing happen. Like, mm-hmm. we've. I know you've lost a kid that potentially you're interested from our program. That was just like at the end of the day, like, uh, rather than commit to 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 you guys, I'm going to go JUCO and then try to yeah, leapfrog uh-huh. into D1 later. Like, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then how do kids respond once like they get here? Obviously, you guys beat every team, uh, but you know they see the quality of baseball are they like surprised do you feel like when people come out and watch a d2 game do you feel like they're surprised or they yeah i i think uh i think they're surprised when they see like if we're playing in the spring and they see us playing another pretty high level conference team um i think they're very surprised by the talent they're very surprised by the arm talent um i would say the biggest difference go, go back to your, your your previous question sometimes it's just the depth you know, yeah. you know, the, the one through five on our pitching staff, um, you know, is going to be every bit as good as a one through five on some of the Division One schools pitching staffs. Um, and, and even some of the, the power five D ones, it's the depth, you know, yeah, they might sure. be loaded with back end arms that are all, you know, low to mid 90s. Whereas maybe a good Division two school, they start to get stretched pretty thin once they get to that sixth, seventh, eighth pitcher. Yep. Now, yep. I will say our staff has you know, this past year and then this year a ton of depth so we actually manage our bullpen a lot like they do in in the major league playoffs i mean we'll we'll get four or five out of our starter and then we'll rattle off matchups and and, an inning here uh, a left-handed reliever here and i think that's fun that's when you get to managing a bullpen and and keeping your guys healthy and everything but uh yeah you know it's uh when people come watch us play when kids get to campus i think they are like whoa this is I understand why I might not play as a freshman or, well, I didn't think these guys throw this hard. Or the yeah. biggest thing we get is the physicality. Mm-hmm. And we put a big emphasis on the weight room and strength. And we recruit size. So we recruit big, projectable bodies and um, good athletes that are going to get stronger. I think that's the biggest thing, too, is kids get here and they're like, I need to I need to pick it up in the weight room. I'm I'm 170 pounds. These dudes are all monsters so yeah, as as two sub six yeah. foot handed <laughs> exactly. pitchers sit here yeah. i don't i don't re, i don't recruit a pitcher that's short i would never recruit myself i would never yeah, recruit myself that, that's my goal and <laughs> and it, that, that's a that's a funny thing you say but like what i found in recruiting is it's much easier to go develop the long-armed high-waisted 6'4 kid that might be a low a low to mid 80s guy now that again doesn't get the division one offer he's looking for because the velocity's not mid to upper 80s um, and then develop them, get them stronger, um, use our resources, put a lot of emphasis on player development, and he will become that uh, that upper 80s guy, low 90s guy by the time he's a sophomore yeah. junior. I think that's easier to work with than trying to find a guy like me who literally didn't throw balls, could spin three or four different pitches, could pitch inside. Um, it's really hard to find a 5'10 left, lefty that's mid-80s because that guy is highly valued by Division ones, and he's committed pretty, pretty early. It's hard to find that guy at our yeah. level. So Yeah, that makes sense. I know, is the conference tournament still, and by saying tournament, I'm sure, <laughs> just like everyone else, everyone out here in the Midwest says tournament, <laughs> which is just patently wrong. But anyway, uh, when I was playing for Evansville, you know, six, six seven years ago now, we, uh, in our spring training, the GLVC tournament was being held mm-hmm. in Evansville. Yeah. They still hold it there? Um, it, sure it, it, it rotates, rotates just like most conferences do. Um, they put out bids, and they have to get, they have to win that bid. So um, 
I've never been in Evansville. Um, I know the year before I got here, they went to Evansville. Yeah. Um, at the Otter Stadium, of course, where you played. And, yeah. Um, kind of old historic ballpark. I heard it was pretty cool. Um, it's been in Indianapolis since then. And then this is going to be going on year three where it's down in uh, Springfield, Missouri, the okay. home of Drury, which okay. is in our conference, um, at the U.S. ballpark. Uh, you know, really, really nice stadium, all turf. So Yeah, and uh, so a bunch of us players as we were waiting for them to get done so we could have our, like, workout or whatever. We were watching, and there were like 15 scouts, and the mm. pitcher was throwing like 92. And this yeah. was back when 92 was hard. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. was like 2012. Yeah, it ain't hard anymore. Is no, it? <laughs> um, but you know, I we I think we were all surprised just watching. Like we didn't initially know who these guys were and like what mm-hmm. division. Like what I think it was like Indianapolis was playing. It might have been Drury actually, but it was just like really good quality baseball. Yeah. And like I said, a lot of scouts, like all the radar guns fixed on. I mean, they were everyone was engaged, and it was a. It was a pretty impressive uh, couple games that we got to watch. Just you know, 20, 30, an hour of it yeah. we'd catch. But, um, but yeah, I, it was surprising for me because you know I played for a very small, like bottom feeder D one, and like you never get exposed to other levels. Dude, Maryland, what, Baltimore, Baltimore County. County, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're doing well. They're like they're progressing in the right direction, but they were still. Like, that's why I mentioned like not being fully funded. I think they yeah. had like four uh-huh. and a half scholarships for a D one, which just makes it harder to compete because they have to piece it out. You know, if you're going to have – what's what's a roster size for you guys? Well, that going back to your original question about div- differences between Division One, Division Two. Division Ones, of course, have the 35-man roster limit. And That's the, so big. That's and the, so and big. The, and the 27 counters, of course. Um, Wait, what is a counter? Counter is a scholarship player. Okay. And Division One has a minimum scholarship of 25% now. Um, so it, for you doing the math at home, twenty five percent times twenty seven is about yeah. eight. Well, about yeah, seven. And, and you get into you get onto you get onto PBR and you start to see some of the recruiting classes for some of the Power Five schools, and it's fifteen twenty freshmen every year. And again, you do the math. Yeah, they can't half all the have. guys just aren't going to be there. So that's where we come in, the kickbacks and and uh, the junior colleges. So kickback kick is a D one guy who then just like doesn't make the team, just doesn't doesn't. Yeah, fit. just going to get his money cut, doesn't fit in. Um, they don't want to wait for his time to develop they need to they need a guy that can help them right away so they're going to take that crop of guys that they think can help them sooner rather than later and uh that's where the, the really good junior colleges kind of pluck over and they'll yeah. do a good job getting the bounce backs and, and but once in a while and we've done a pretty good job of it we can get those guys to bypass the junior college route and come straight to us that makes sense and they're guys that just they just want the chance to play right away they just want to play right away they're they they're over the division one thing now they've like coach i've I've been to Division One. I've seen all the cool facilities. I've been to this state. It doesn't matter anymore. I just want to play. I want to compete. Um, and then back to back to the roster sizes. You know, 35 roster limit, 27. Well, you can have as many as you want in the fall. So sometimes some of those schools will have 55, 60 guys on their fall roster. And they used to do that a lot more back in the day. Didn't they have something that sort of curtailed that? Yeah, I, I, and it might just be reputation. Is, is oh really? I, yeah, I don't know if there's a rule. Um, but th- there's actually some programs that will not only redshirt freshmen, they'll gray shirt them. Gray there's shirt a new meaning, colored shirt? Yeah, yeah, new, <laughs> new colored shirt. Uh, it's happened where not only are they not going to play their freshman year, they're on the team, but they can't actually – they can't be in organized team activity. So like, What does that even mean then? That's so it's a guy that's that bizarre. Is, yeah, it, it's happened. I, I actually know of a few instances in particular where they've had gray shirts. And it's a kid that maybe has no other opportunities, and maybe he's got a really good arm and absolutely no clue where the ball's going. And uh, 
they don't even want to use a roster spot on them. They redshirt them. They want to, hey, you're kind of on the team, but you're kind of not so on the team. They just put a tracking device on yeah, him. And, uh-huh. like, we'll page you and in a year when your table's it, ready. He gets to tell everybody he's on the baseball team when he's out in, in downtown. But. Well, I mean, that's all that really matters, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, uh, you know, and we don't have a roster limit. So um, we have 40, 44 on our roster. And uh, we have a pretty big pitching staff. We have uh, just over 20 pitchers on our pitching staff. So I know there's some there's some junior college programs that have 20 players. So yeah. sometimes I get asked, a lot, like, how do you manage that many pitchers? We and can play the matchup. So yeah, hey. all right, this guy, he only hits left-handed <laughs> pitching early in the count. Yeah. But when uh-huh. he's down the count, he can't hit a yeah. right-handed slider. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm a big numbers guy, so we look at all that stuff. And if you actually look at our stats from last year, I think we had like 17 pitchers pitch now maybe 12 or 13 of those were significant innings. But, yeah, we had 17 or 18 guys throw an inning for us yeah. last year, which I is kind of unheard your, of. Yeah, I looked through your numbers, and, you know, usually what you see, just like what you said with the depth, like when you scrolled, and obviously you guys were super successful because there's your, your record above it, but you go, okay, like a couple guys in the ones, a bunch of guys in the twos. You go, okay, where are the innings eaters? So all your guys with yeah. 75 innings are, you know, mid twos, mm-hmm. low threes. That's obviously a great sign. But then as you keep going – it's just like little, all right, 3-1, three, 3-3, three, 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 yeah. and then it's like 4-5 is the last guy yeah, that got significant yeah. innings. There's none of those, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, yeah, the 99s, <laughs> the, the little tilde, the infinite sign. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and that's, like you just said before, it's just about, just like the common sentiment about what kind of shortstop you want. You want the guy that makes the routine play every yeah. time. He doesn't have to make the flashy play. Mm-hmm. And like, it seems like everybody on your staff gave you consistent, like, quality innings. No yeah. one imploded and you know that's hard to avoid obviously especially when you have so many you know freshmen and younger guys but mm-hmm. you guys were top to bottom like very consistent as a yeah. pitching staff yeah those guys those guys do a, do a great job of, of working and understanding what they need to do to be successful and um, we give them a bunch of options in in development and in training and kind of let them pick and choose what they what they want to do but I want stuff guys I want velocity guys you can't always have an entire staff of 95 arms, of yeah. course. And you guys have a couple, level. don't you? Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have a big right-handed pitcher named Nick Alvarado. Um, he was an Illinois State kickback. Um, he's uh, he's six foot seven. He's 230 pounds. He's massive. Um, he's been up to 95. Um, he'll send anywhere from 90 to 94. Um, big time slider. We can throw a little cutter at 85, 86. So he's a redshirt junior this year. So we still have him for two more years. Maybe one if he has a good year. Yeah, we um, just one for his sake. You know that'd be great to see. And uh, yeah, we have a we have a junior who's been a three year guy now in our program out of high school. R. D. Lutz. He's from uh, Aurora, Aurora, Illinois, and um, he's 92, 95. Um, big, strong, right handed pitcher. Loves the weight room and. Um, Velocity at that at that type of you know level is hard to hit, and then you pair that with some some off-speed pitches, and and we look at the numbers. We want to make sure that we are throwing our off-speed pitches enough, or even more with those guys, because as a hitter, what are you going to gear up for? The fastball. Yeah. What do hitters want to hit? They want to hit fastballs. So even though we might have a pitching staff that has very good velocity, top to bottom, we also really need to know how to spin the ball and be able to throw behind the count changeups, um, be able to you know wipe out that slider when we have to because guys are going to be ready for it. And again, we sp- speak to the level of competition here at the D- Division Two level. Um, Division two hitters, the good ones, they can still hit that 95. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's it's sure sure as heck. So uh, we got to make sure we're doing a good job with our, our pitch calling to make sure that our our guys are keeping them off balance still, not fall in love with the velocity in game. So yeah, and we were chatting about that last night. We had had wings with some of our college kids that came back, and and myself and Lucas, and we were just talking about hitting and just um, 
everyone's kind of picking Lucas's brain on swing plane and all the launch angle stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking about how when hitters are really good at getting on plane, you know, you can't throw the ball two or three miles per hour harder and really get it by them because yeah. they just hit it a little bit deeper and they hit it into the right center gap yeah. instead of the left center gap. So, you know, velocity, you see that with a lot of young guys with good arms. Like they just like, okay, I throw 90 on the corner, 92 on the corner, I'm 0-2, I'm going to throw 93 right by him, and they mm -hmm. just destroy it into the gap. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's uh, it definitely helps. It gives you margin for error with your fastball if you're if you're a low to mid-90s guy, but you touched on it a few minutes ago. Um, 92 is really not that hard anymore. Yeah. Um, there's, you, you look at, you go out to recruit and you go to some of the bigger tournaments, whether it's the WWBA in Atlanta or uh, the Colonels tournament or whatever the case may be. Um, there's a lot of high school kids that are juniors, going to be seniors, and they're they're 89, 91, you know, so. Pansies. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's crazy what's happened with, with the game, and it's a, it's kind of a cat and mouse game with the hitters and the uh, the, the the pitchers, and um, pitchers are training to throw harder and to develop stuff, but hitters are also getting better at hitting that stuff. So yeah. it's going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be kind of kind of crazy to see what happens here with the game over the next ten years, just like it has in the past ten years. So yeah, I feel like there needs to be for us old pitchers, <laughs> there needs to be like an inflation adjustment because if we talk about you know you bought a house in 1970 for a hundred thousand dollars, you're like oh that's cheap little house but you're like no 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 1970 that's like a million dollars today like you know we threw 90 back yeah, in the day uh -huh. like that's like 95 today like yeah yeah well no, there's a like, there's a private facebook group and it's like for former minor league players um former major league players and like you'll get like like chipper jones is talking in there and and a lot of it's just uh just just you know just random talk you know jokes all that type of stuff guys sharing memories and all that but the one thing that always comes up is all the old timers that like think the guns are juice now. They they're not. They're not juice. They don't believe. Kids just throw hard. <laughs> they like don't. They honestly can't wrap their head around how much the game has changed, how much yeah. pitching has changed, and uh, that's kind of the battle that that's going on with baseball right now. Is the new school analytics, data-driven, forward-thinking coach in front yeah. office. If you don't have data-driven in your Twitter in your Twitter <laughs> bio, you're just a loser. Exactly. Well, I'm a loser. And the, the old-school caveman guy, and I don't know why it has to be one or the other. I don't understand that, but that's kind of how it seems, and, and you're pretty active on Twitter and, and social media, and every night you see some argument between people about yeah. how to hit and how to pitch. And why command is more important, why velocity is more important. So look, let's just throw 98 <laughs> on the black. We can all agree that that's just, like, what we should do. All yeah. Right? So just get all three strikes yeah. in the batter, and then you're good. It just it keeps going back and forth. and But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like, people in that group that, like, cannot believe that guys are actually all throwing 97. Like, no way. That gun's juice. That's all for ratings. And I'm just like, hey, man, like, I'm not saying they're better pitchers, but they are throwing 97. Yeah. Everybody's throwing 97 in the bullpen in the major leagues now. And you might have – I mean, how many sinker ballers are left in the big leagues? They're dying out, man. I was just wondering the other day, we were talking about Brandon Webb. Like, and, and that's just a whole other topic about how tough it is to come back from shoulder mm -hmm. surgeries and yeah. how it just tough it is to stay in the big leagues in general because guys that are, like, household names are suddenly just like, oh, wait, where did he go? And he's just gone. Yeah. But, like, Brandon Webb, like Derek Lowe, I mean, there were some great sinker ballers. And yeah. it's got to come back at some point, you think, because now there's none of them. So now if you have one, you're special yeah. again, right? Yeah, no, I, I think it will. I think I think everything's cyclical, and uh, I think the velocity and the stuff is here to stay. But I think that guy will be valued more, the guy that can throw. And maybe it's not the upper 80 sinker. Maybe it is the low 90 sinker. It's the 92, 93 yeah. guy. But 
he has a ton of sink on his fastball um, because that's going to combat exactly what most hitters are trying to do nowadays, which is hit the ball in the air and try to hit the ball over the shift and out of the ballpark. So imagine if you can get a guy like a Zach Britton, for example, right? He's a 97 yeah, mile he's an hour. Yeah, he's terrifying. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It doesn't it, make sense. It looks like a high school kid's changeup. It looks like a – like, so I watched – I've only seen – I've only been to a major league game once this past year. I went to a Red Sox-Yankees game. Okay. And it was an amazing, like, the Red Sox came back in the ninth. They got, like, four or five off Chapman. I got to see Batances, then Britton, then Chapman. Yeah. And uh-huh. the Yankees didn't win, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. But uh, I watched, so from, like, dead center field, I watched Britton, and it literally looked like a tennis, like, yeah. forehand, where it just as soon as he left his hand, it was just like, boom. It's absurd. And you're like, how does that work? Like, how does your body do that? It, and it has any yeah. hitter ever – like it's actually hard to believe he, crazy. he ever gives up a hit. It's crazy, yeah. How does a major league hitter even hit the ball? I guess he leaves the ball up and it's knee high. Well, you could see, high. yeah. And from that vantage point, it was cool because when it was, he actually fell behind the count a bunch that night because it was out of his hand, like maybe three inches above the knee. And then it was just, it was yeah. maybe mid shin at best. And they were taking it. So mm-hmm. they knew if it's if it leaves Britain's hand here, I got to take. Because yeah. it, it just, it had so much sink. And then when he threw in for a called strike, it had significantly less sink. Yeah. You could see it. It was a lot it, flatter. It's funny about Zach Britton. So when I was playing in the minor leagues, I had a pitching instructor named Doug White. He is now the major league pitching coach for the LA Angels. So nice. I had him in the Cardinals system. He left the Cardinals system, went to the Astros, when the Astros kind of plucked everyone from the Cardinals. And um, very, very smart guy. He was kind of the first coach I've ever had that was more analytical. Um and at the time, I thought it was weird. I was like, "Hey, man, you're weird." Like, yeah, I don't so really I'm talking about what saying. I never even heard. I never even picked up a J band before in my life. So, yeah. um, but he was kind of my introduction to that. And um, you know, we we look back and everything that he was teaching um, was kind of what you see now. Well, he actually brought me into the office one day. Hey, I said, I, I see a lot of similarities between you and Zach Britton. And I didn't know who Zach Britton was. He was like in his first year with the Orioles, yeah. just some no namer. But yeah, you know he's he's got a ton of run on his fastball. You know he's got a lot of sink. He's a, you know he's a low 90s, mid 90s guy. And looking back on that conversation, it's like laughable. You know, like you're get to commit. Very flattering. Very Zach flattering. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what were you thinking, man? I know you're trying to do what's best for him, but I and Zach Britton, no way. <laughs> well, now there's so. a second one, Blake Trinan. Yeah. Uh huh. He's crazy. The they, witch, right? They call him the witch. <laughs> yeah, which he hates it. I, I yeah, I had Rob Friedman. <laughs> Uh, on the podcast, who's the pitching ninja on Twitter? Yeah, he has uh-huh. all these amazing gifts. He's mm-hmm. a really good guy, but he was saying that he actually was the one to coin that, <laughs> and Blake hates it. Yeah, because it's just like, look, dude, just own up to it. Like what you do is not normal. Yeah, uh-huh. you throw 98 mile per hour turbo sinkers. Yeah, the yeah like, the that's not, Yeah, it's sorcery. It, it, yeah, it starts to get into the other conversation, and um, like Trevor Bauer was on on Twitter talking about spin rates, and he's he's been accused of, or he has accused the Astros of. of doctoring the baseball mm-hmm. and cheating and um it makes you wonder like man, how are some of these guys doing that with the baseball but between every single pitch you see every major leaguer in in, in the world go to their wrist and get their bullfrog and their yeah it's like so you it, think only these two guys yeah, are doing it like uh-huh. that's how they figured it out like that's not come on like yeah. if everyone if it was that easy to do more people have yeah. figured out how to do it yeah no doubt we we actually fooled around with that uh we were in our indoor throwing some bullpens and uh, we got some sticky stuff with some of our pitchers, and we pulled out the Rapsodo, and, and we started looking at some spin rates, and I can promise this you This is experimental, stuff. people. Experimental. Just. Experimental only. Um, it, it works. It's, yeah. We, and we did a bunch of different things, and it's crazy. It's crazy what you can do to manipulate the baseball um, with substances. But 
on that note, you know, with grips, you know, grips is like the natural thing, to, the way to do it, right? High thumb, low thumb, wrist placement, all that type of stuff. And um, that, that's when pitching gets really, really fun in those conversations. But, yeah, Pitching Ninja is an awesome account. I yeah. tell every single one of our pitchers when they get here, um, you know, that, that dumb freshman that, um, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, hey, if you're going to do one thing on Twitter, follow these three or four accounts. You're going to learn a whole lot from them. And, yeah, he's done a great job. You think he got, he got suspended, right, for content in the summer? <laughs> so, yeah, he told that story a little bit. So, basically, uh, a, another guy who's, uh, I think, a Barstool Sports, like, I don't know if he's like a radio personality. Yeah. Took one of Rob's, um, like, gifts. And then just post it on his Twitter mm -hmm. without like any like credit. Just like really, what you do is you retweet him, right? Yeah. It shows that this was my property. This is what I, you know, my thought, and now I'm sharing it with someone else. But he just like passed off on his own, and he was like, "Hey man, like, you know, that's not really how this works. Like, could you credit me?" And he was like, "Oh well, why should I credit you? You just stole this from Major League Baseball anyway." Yeah. And then yeah, he like made it a big thing to where Major Major League Baseball actually like got involved. Mm -hmm. But then. Rob and him hashed it out, and he's like licensed to do what he does. Yeah, I think. But it was uh, just some guy just being a jerk. I think Barstool likes to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but no, he's a really good guy, and certainly yeah. doesn't deserve that kind of treatment from, and his son, from Twitter. His son plays, right? Yeah, he's a freshman at Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, really genuine, genuine guy. So definitely check out Pitching Ninja if you're not yet already on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. Were you a rosin guy? Did you use it? I started using it in pro ball. Um, See, I tried to, and I just, like, couldn't find the happy zone. Yeah. Um, my One of my pitching instructors, again, was Brent Strom, who is now with the Astros. Mm -hmm. He's been their big league pitching coach since, uh, I want to say, 15, kind of when they, when they hired A.J. Hinch. Um, of course, he won the World Series with them last year. Um, he was kind of the first guy that introduced me to that, just using rosin, how to use it. Um, how to use it with sunscreen, right? To create that, that little extra grip on your fingers. Um, usually you're fine in the summer unless it was really, really hot or early in the season when it was absolutely freezing out and the balls are slick. Yeah, and that's what people don't get. Like, it seems like you don't want us throwing these slippery, very hard pool cues at yeah. hitters' heads. Yeah. Because you do, you like have the ball in your hand, it's 40 degrees, and you're like, this might go over the backstop. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So he and you kind of have to experiment with it because I, I found myself in the middle of a game and I'm about to. I was a starting pitcher for most of pro ball, and uh, I remember being out there on the mound and like I take my warm ups. I'm like, oh my god, like my hands are too. They got too much stuff. On. Like <laughs> yeah. I can't feel the ball. Yeah, so I got to figure something out really, really quick. So um, yeah, there's. You know, I think if you go through a, a major league baseball bullpen bag, there's a whole bunch of uh, mm -hmm. tricks and. Pretty, pretty funny stuff in there. So. Yeah, you have to throw the bag away every, like, what, 40, 50 games because, yeah. like, everything gets sticky. Uh-huh. And it's just – but, yeah, for me, that was sort of my experience where uh, I was a reliever my first couple years and then a, or a starter my first couple and a reliever after that. But if you use rosin in April, it almost doesn't help Yeah. because mm -hmm. it's, it's itself very dry and cold. And then if you use it in July – and you're not used to using it, like say you're like really sweating, you're like I'm gonna go to the rosin bag, suddenly your hand's super sticky and you're like, what's happening? And yeah. you try to throw it. So for me, it was hard finding consistency where if I just want a little bit of tack or like a little, which that's legal, like rosin's legal. And if you're sweaty, like mm -hmm. it gets really sticky, really oh, yeah. fat, like yeah. super sticky. Like you almost don't need, like when we talk about like all the stuff that's technically cheating, just like regular rosin on a July day when you're sweaty is like, super duper sticky yeah yeah but absolutely. like you said like you don't want to have you want 
every single thing you do as a pitcher to be utterly consistent, like the way you step, like every single thing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you don't want like, all right, I threw that last slider with a normal hand. Now this slider is a little sticky. Then the next one, I get some more rosin. Now I'm like, we're super sticky. Yeah. You're like, this isn't going to go well. Yeah, once in a while, hard to manage, once a while like. you'll have some dirt stuck to your hands, <laughs> or you get some, uh, you get some of the baseball, the leather to rip off onto your finger, and you're sitting there with oh, man, some, you, white, right, some you, white, some white You're doing some crazy <laughs> stuff. Then I didn't ever have any of that. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't very good, so I had to do some things to, to try to work my way through <laughs> <in> the system. <laughs> but yeah, you, they they swing off you and they you jam them and it just sticks to the bat, uh, just yeah. stays like the, there. They got to throw the bat as far as the they Yadi can. The Molina thing a couple of years ago with the the chest protector and the ball stuck to it and nothing came of it somehow. <laughs> The ball was just sitting on his chest. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how everybody looked the other way. I mean, because it's Yachty, so it just. Well, it just seems like the rule guy. should just be more uniform. Like, look, like, is it cheating if everyone does it and yeah. if like everyone's okay with it? Like, I don't think the hitters, like, okay, so that this could go down a rabbit hole, but like, clearly hitters care because, like you said, like you can make your slider better. Yeah, no doubt. By catching it better and yeah, increasing the spin yeah, rate. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the data on it. Yeah. It works. So, that would be the argument against it, but. Yeah, it's like, then why do hitters get to use rosin on their yeah. bats? Yeah, and, throw and the bat jerks. Yeah. I mean, it, so, yeah, I think if everybody just uses it, um, then, then what's the problem? But then I guess you'd have the argument of people going back to the 90s and steroids. Everybody was using it, so what was the problem with it? Now, yeah. maybe there's more health more health implications there yeah. with that. But, yeah, it's, uh, I think I think it should be. I think, I think sometimes you're out there on the mound and – the balls are really, really slick, and you really don't know where they're going. Yeah, and if the major league season starts so early. Uh -huh. April and, like, May, even in May, if you're a reliever, you're still pitching 9.30 night. It's yeah. 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the pitcher should be allowed to be normal, I feel like, when it's cold out, especially in October. Yeah. It's the coldest time. It's the most important time of the year. It's super cold. You can see your breath. Like, that ball is very, very powdery yeah. and slick. doesn't matter how much you rub those up. They're, mm -hmm. they're slick. We've all yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah. So you guys use Rapsido. Right, and what other technology? Yeah. Like, tell me about the the tech that's invading the game. How much do you? I shouldn't say invading because it's, it's a positive, could be a negative. But um, tell me about tech and how you guys use it and, and all that. Yeah. So, um, again, like I said, I think I think a balance is important. I think it's important to have a, a good balance of just teaching your guys how to compete and getting them to understand how to win baseball games, but incorporating some of the newer forward-thinking training protocols that are out there. Um, you know, one of them is driveline, and, and that, it's controversial. A lot of people are, are all about it. There, there's, there's a handful of people that don't believe in it. Um, I think it's good to blend everything. So we use a little bit of the driveline um, with our arm care. Um, we do a lot of the pre-throw stuff, not so much of the weighted ball, high-intent throwing. Um, and then we do a lot of the recovery stuff, and, and some of that carries over to the weight room as well. Um, we have a Rapsodo unit. Um, we, we got it last November. So when our guys came back last January from break, that was the first time we got to use it. And um, I think it's every bit worth it. Um, every, it's worth every penny. Uh, we, we use it just about every single day when our guys are back here. And, uh, and can you use that outside, or is that only like kind of in a controlled space, like when you're indoors? We, you can use it. You can use it inside. You can use it outside. How do you guys use it, though? Um, you both. take it out? Yeah, take we'll take it outside. Okay. The, only, the, the downside is right now you can't use the software for in-game data. So whereas like Trackman is collecting data for every single pitch you throw in a real game, okay. um, the Rapsodo unit as it is right now has to sit six feet behind Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously you could probably do it in an inner squad, put, in, put a screen up, 
um, but you're gonna get some you're gonna get some weird data, some misreads. So that's the only downside is right now it's more for bullpen sessions, um, flat grounds because you can yeah. you can use it for spin work. You you can use it for for catch sessions. They are coming out with a new version. They're releasing it actually at the ABCA in Dallas here in a couple weeks, and uh, that version will be will be able to use it during games. So that's a big big deal um, because having data is great, but I'd prefer to have game data. Yeah. Um, you know, game data, game velocities are different. Game spin rates are different. It's different throwing with a hitter in there in a game situation. So yeah. that's something that's going to be a, a big upgrade for, for us. But, you know, we use it a lot just to kind of find out what type of pitcher a guy is. It, it's, it's important to know what their spin rates are. It's important to know are they a high or low spin rate fastball guy. What's the RPM, the spin rates on their breaking ball? Are they more of a slider guy? Or are they stuck in purgatory between a slider and a curveball? So we'll use it to get baseline data. And then from there, we can use it to, des to help design a new pitch with the, with the use of high-speed cameras. Um, we don't use an Edgertronic. We're working on getting one. They're about $7,000. But that's, that's it? I thought they were more like... I think there's two versions. Were they 5K back in back in the day? There was one that there was in one, the in the five digits. I meant. Yeah, there was one that was 15,000. Mm -hmm. I think it's they've done a good job of, of getting that price point a little bit lower, um, but obviously seven grand is, is pretty costly for a camera. Yeah. Um, but that's like what you see on drivelines, Twitter all the time mm -hmm. of of the the feedback it can give you between your grips, what you think you're doing, and what you're actually doing combined with the data we're collecting on your spin rates, your horizontal vertical break, and you combine all that, and it really is useful. Now I will say this, it doesn't matter if you have a Rapsodo or a TrackMan or high-speed cameras if you don't get your guys to understand it and understand how it applies to them yeah. and how it can make them better. That's the biggest challenge because, look, 18-year-old kids come in here as freshmen. Most of them don't know what a Rapsodo is. Most of them have no idea that different fastballs have different RPMs, mm -hmm. right? So, again, it doesn't matter how much, you know, how great I think it is, how much I think I might know about it, if I can't get that data to become relevant for our pitchers, which I think we have done a pretty good job of. And there's some guys that don't really care to use it. They're just like, ah, I'm fine. Yeah. And if you're going to be good on the field and get guys out, I don't care, right? It's just yeah. like throwing away the balls, you know. If, if you're already 92, 94 and you're good and you could do without them, who am I to say you need to do it? You yeah. Know? So, so yeah, that's kind of how we incorporate it a little bit. And uh, again, it's just like the arm care. Um, give, I think we, you got to give your guys options, let them pick and choose what they like, formulate their own routine. And part of that routine can be using the wraps though. And part of that routine can, ah, I can do without it. So yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, cause you were what, a, a, like a sinker slider guy. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, I was, as a pitcher, that's kind of what I was until I made the velocity jump, and then I started pitching up and in a lot more. Okay. And uh, it's funny because, you know, we all heard of pitch tunneling, effective velocity, and I feel like I had a good grasp on those concepts as a pitcher before they were a thing. So yeah. they had no name, but I felt like, hey, every time I throw this fastball inside, he's always really late, and it's only 90. But yeah. um, So I kind of felt like I had a good grasp on that. So um, – I think the hardest part about coaching is to is to realize that there's going to be things that you did really well as a pitcher that other pitchers that you're coaching really struggle with. Yeah. And sometimes it's easy to get frustrated. Like, God, I did this. Why can't you just do this? It was so easy for me. But then it also works in the opposite. There's going to be guys on your pitching staff that can do things that you couldn't do. 
and you have to try to understand as a pitching coach, like, how are you doing that? That's that's pretty impressive. That's pretty dang good. So, um, yeah, you got to find the balance, and, and you got to um, yeah. The, I go back to the collecting the original data. When our guys first get to campus, we we all use it. We get the baseline data, and then it, it helps them understand what kind of pitcher they should be. Because we've had guys who lived by conventional wisdom of pitching down in the zone, but they have a super high spin rate on their fastball. Yeah, it's not good. Not a good combination, right? Yep. You're actually helping the hitter stay on plane, catch up mm -hmm. to the velocity. So yeah. it, it helps with pitch calling, helps with pitch tunneling. Um, and again, it, I'll say this, at the very least, it's kind of cool. If anything else, it's kind of cool for your pitchers to have your iPad hooked up to AirPlay to a TV, and every single pitch they throw, they can look over their shoulder and say, like, they can you know, contribute what they did with a wrist placement, a, a grip change into actual changes in their data, the change in yeah. the pitch and the break and all that. It's pretty cool at the very least, you mm -hmm. know, so. Yeah, for sure. And I, we sound like we have a, had a similar path because I started figuring out that just like, you know, you figure out patterns if you're paying attention and yeah. you figure out like what's like some things that you do that other guys don't do or like the way you get outs or things that just don't seem normal. Like for me, I can remember all the way back to when I was a freshman, no, maybe it was probably a sophomore. When I was a sophomore, I started throwing a little hard. I was like 85 to 88. And I would throw like 3-1, I'd take a deep breath, I'd be behind the count, and I'd throw a fast right down the middle, and they'd swing and miss at it. Yeah. I didn't think much of it at the time. I was like, oh, that's cool. But then as I yeah, got I, I fur further into <laughs> my career, I kept doing the same thing, and I'd throw, you know, 3-1, 91 right down the middle, and the guy swings beneath it, swings yeah. late. And I'm uh -huh. like... This doesn't. This still doesn't make sense. Like, what's happening here? And then you started to hear about spin rate and some of these things. Yeah. You know, way before it was a big popular thing, like five, six years mm -hmm. ago. And you're like, oh, that seems like that applies to me. Mm -hmm. And then as I started to, you know, pick and uh, or put together some of my good and bad outings, I'm like, I can think back about all. Like, I didn't give up a ton of home runs. Um, I can I can remember a lot of them, and they were almost all that. You know, that little flashball memory of it down the zone. Yeah. When I pitched down, I got killed. Uh -huh. When I pitched up, I can't, I cannot think of a time when I gave up a, a chest high home run or a yeah. ball that they drove into the gap. Like there just there weren't any. They'd pop that up too high; it wouldn't go out. Yeah, and you and, you, and I'd strike guys out like and that. You weren't sure why, but now you can but look back it, on your career you, yeah. and say, "Wait a second, I can apply some of this stuff to my career." It's past tense, of course, but yeah. that's probably why yeah. you. Can I was theorize. a high spin rate yeah. guy. Yeah, and I for pitched sure. up, and over time, I figured that out. And at the end of my career, I was better at the end despite not having better stuff because yeah. I understood who I was mm -hmm. I'm going to pitch up in the zone I'm going to throw it at your belt line first pitch and I'm going to go up the ladder and in the ladder you yeah. know, inside and if I go away if I pitch like catcher's calling outer third fastball nah that's yeah. my that's not good for me like yeah. nah we're well, shaking that off it's been cool to because again we've only had the Rhapsodo for a full year now a year and some change it's been cool to either confirm some of my suspicions with yeah, some of our pitchers or actually be rebutted on some of them. So like R.D. Luch, he's the junior that's you know that's low to mid 90s. Um, obviously, that that's, at this level, that that's above average velocity. Yeah, for sure. That's above average velocity for a, for a good Division One pitcher. Um, he was a super super high fly ball pitcher, and he more than any pitcher on our staff foul balls, foul balls right back to the screen. And I think back in the day that you always hear hitters say it and coaches say it. You're right on it. You're right on. No, you're late, man. Yeah. You, you can't get to that ball. You can't. If a hitter fouls the ball straight back, don't think you need to throw something slow. He's late. He can't get to it. So 
looking back now on his data and knowing what I actually know that's been proven, it's like, ah, I was, I was right. Like, spin rate guy. super high spin rate guy. Yeah. You just need to throw every fastball on the white, down the middle, above the belt. Yeah. And you're, you're just not going to get hit. You, yeah. it's, just, it's just not possible. You're not going to get hit, especially with that velocity. So that's been yeah. kind of cool to see um, things that have been, you know, been confirmed and things that have been proven false by, yeah. by w- conventional wisdom. So Yeah, and it was interesting. I was, I was talking to, uh, I guess he's now the major league, I think he's the assistant hitting coach for the Pirates, um, Jacob Cruz. He was with the Cubs for the last couple of years. Okay. But I was asking him about that because there are definitely times when I'm like, you know what, I feel like this is right, but I need to ask someone who – was better, a much better player than I was. Yeah. And uh, I was like, what do you think about pitches fouled straight back? I'm like, I feel like they're a little bit late, like exactly what you just said. And he's like, well, it could be. He's like, but I really I think it's just a little bit of like, like you're never 100% accurate as a hitter with your yeah. barrel. Like uh-huh. just because you're a major leaguer, you still just miss pitches that there's no good reason except that you just like didn't aim mm-hmm. as well. You yeah. know, just like an archer, like you just don't hit the target because you just – and I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And when you factor in the spin rate, it's hard to know which variable will play because I do think there's a little bit of a lateness component. Like, I really do agree yeah. with you. But then when you have the high spin rate, the hitter just, like, maybe if he didn't have that high spin rate, he really just does square that one up. But because, yeah. like, their brain can't calculate that this pitch stays up more than normal pitch does, yeah. they just miss time. They mislocate their barrel, and that's just foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. Yeah. And it's, it's just, like you said, it, I think that's – that was probably pretty cool when you got to like confirm your suspicions and say, "Oh yeah, this it all makes sense now." Yeah, this is this is who you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I think I think uh, like high spin rate pitchers with their fastballs, the ball actually defies gravity longer. It does. So the ball yeah. drops less. So the hitter's accounting for a certain location, and then they swing and they're on time. Mm-hmm. And then ah dang it, I I popped it up. Well, and they don't know why. They, they can't figure they it can't out. They just like, can't explain it. Get but no it. matter how many times they face the same pitcher, they just their brain won't allow them to swing above because they're they're being tricked, right? They're being yeah. tricked, and and hitters make decisions with with their brain, and their eyes tell them that something might come true, but by the time your eyes and your, it can process everything, it's too late. Yeah. So I think hitters make make decisions, and they choose to swing and where to swing how to swing, what kind of path to take, and they're all just making a really, really well-educated guess, the best ones in the world. Yeah. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. And, and in hitting, more, the more time you're usually wrong. You know, and yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the technology, is, it's, it's really interesting to sh- shine light on. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who think you can't teach somebody to hit. You can't teach somebody to pitch without having all this high-tech anymore, which is also not true because we both survived fine. Mm-hmm. Like. And we kind of had an idea of what was going on even without all the technology. Yeah. But like what you said, I think it helps people buy in. It helps people figure out that learning curve way faster. Like if I had learned that I was a high spin rate guy and that I was okay pitching up in the zone and not going away to righties, I would have been much more successful a lot earlier in my career. Like that would have been great. Yeah. You know, but conventional wisdom is pitched down the zone. And yeah. you you watch, you know, this, you know, this uh, senior when you're a freshman, you watch how his bullpen goes and just pounding – you know, the bottom of the zone, you're like, oh, I need to be like him. And mm-hmm. granted, I'm sure you'd agree that every pitcher has to be able to throw the ball downhill and be able to do no that. Doubt. No because doubt. Because I think now one of the bad side effects is like, oh, pitchers are like, oh, I'm just going to pitch up in the zone. Like, no, no, no. You need to know how to control your body and catch everything downhill because that's where your good slider is. Yeah. That's where your good curveball is. That's where your good chain up is. You can't shove everything up in the zone and just like, 
it's okay to pitch up in the zones. Like, no, you just stink. You need to be able to go down the zone <laughs> yeah. and then go up purposefully. You know, yeah. like there's a difference, yeah. right? And, and the guys that typically have to pitch down in the zone, that's when you do mix a lot more. You mm-hmm. got, you're gonna, you're gonna have to be the guy, and you, you probably did it quite a bit. Um, that can throw the three-one changeup, the two-zero. No, I couldn't do that. No, you couldn't do that. <laughs> no, three-one. Oh, I was throwing a fastball. No, okay. I mean, if I'm being honest with myself as a player, uh, that was. I mean, those are the things that would have prevented me from getting to next levels. Like yeah. I just, I was not the guy that could toss in a three-one curveball. Like had you been able to do that, maybe you're still playing today. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. you know, besides my injury concerns, but if you watch the guys in the big leagues, like they all had stuff, you know, maybe similar to mine, but. They could throw that. Like they were going two one yeah. curveball, two one mm-hmm. slider. You can't just go predictably two one fastball, two zero fastball, three yeah. one fastball, which is what I had to do because I just wasn't good enough yeah. for off speed stuff. Yeah. So I think it, it is important for those guys to mix, to mix more. And, and that's why it's good what, what you're doing with your guys. Like you said, we're not just going to throw fastballs. Yeah, uh-huh. We're going to force them to mix. Yeah. And that's I think that's going to prepare them one well. Of the, one of the cool things that we started doing with our pitchers last year, and this is a. Now, you need a radar gun, but that's pretty low tech nowadays. I mean, everybody yeah. has a radar gun. Yeah. Um, get your guys to throw bullpen sessions, and it's a breaking ball bullpen session. So you mix in some fastballs, but the goal of the bullpen session is to create feel with your breaking ball. And we've actually done some cool things with the radar gun where we'll do some proprioception training where maybe their, their normal slider sits from 78 to 80, but we'll go up and down the velo scale throw this one 71, this one two, this one mm. three, and we'll check that box, and then we'll randomize it too on the way back. Throw this one 73, throw this one 83. And if they can start to correlate what they do with their body with an actual quantifiable result, it should help them teach them how to have a feel for the baseball because yeah. one of the more underrated things about pitching is creating different layers of each pitch. How can I throw seven different pitches with my one slider because that is really hard to account for for a hitter if your normal slider was 82 miles an hour but you can throw one 76 and you can throw one 84 the hitter might oh there's the slider i see the spin there's the little dot oh shoot that was dropped five off of what i saw he was kind of on it but he's out on his front foot now and he he flies out to left right so um there's so many different cool things you could play horse right you can play horse with that the radar gun and you go back and forth to two comparable pitchers of velocity and he goes I'm going to throw 91 in zone in zone four on the nine hole the nine hole little pitching uh, target and then the guy next to him has got to hit it if he hits it and you kind of go back and forth and there's so many cool ways you can kind of train your pitchers yeah but get them out of the get them out of the training mindset and into the competitive mindset they're just trying to win at that point but they know their bodies are going to have to self-organize and and do things that they probably can't explain but the good ones can do it. The yeah. good pitchers can throw a breaking ball, drop five off the normal one, and they can they can speed up their slider. They can take miles off their fastball. They can add when they want to. So that's all really cool stuff that we'll do, and it's fun too. I think our guys love it, you know. So what uh, what sort of uh, competency level do you feel like pitchers can start to tackle stuff like? Because I know, you know, I work with lots of kids who are 12 to 18, and probably the majority of my pitching clients are probably 12 to 15. Mm-hmm. So. Where do you see, like, and even with your guys, you get a freshman, like, when do you allow them to say, hey, let's have two versions of your breaking ball, two versions of your changeup? Uh, when do you feel like that becomes manageable and not too much where then, you know, hey, maybe your one version is just, like, not good enough at yeah. all yet? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's 
first of all, I think that's the biggest mistake young pitchers make is they think it's cool to have six different pitches. Yeah, and they'll stink. And, and yeah, you have six bad pitches. Yeah. And you throw 77, man. Like, so let's master one or two really good pitches because you can be, at the high school level, for the most part, you can be a really, really good high school pitcher, borderline dominant with one good pitch. Yeah. That could be a dominant fastball. You just throw 92 and you just throw your fastball right down the plate. And it's just mm-hmm. really hard to hit for the average high school hitter. Maybe it's a really big time breaking ball. Um, so let's start there. Let's work on developing one good off speed pitch. And sometimes guys come in and they have the natural ability to spin the breaking ball and they can't spin the changeup. They just don't have the feel for it. Um, so we're going to keep working on that breaking ball and, and sharpen it up as much as we can while also developing a changeup in a training setting and maybe come game time we go back to our two pitch mix yeah. but we're always working towards that next goal um but it's like trying to trying to walk before you can crawl right yeah. you have to be able to control the strike zone before you can command the strike zone so um, we want our guys to be able to come in throw their fastball for strikes first and then we're going to worry about them throwing it in the zone where they want to because that's not as easy as people think. No. It's not. like No, not at all. The, the, like, you hear that term, always got plus command. And, man, there's not very many guys in the major leagues that have plus command. Yeah, like Clayton Kershaw does, yeah. but, like, very, very few. Like, it, you know, even command in general. Like, I, I had a friend who uh, he was on the show a long time ago. Whenever I started feeling myself and I was like – because at the end of my career, I didn't walk a lot of guys – but he was very quick to tell me, he's like, no, Dan, you don't have command. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, he's like, I have control. Like, I can throw a strike. But you probably had much better command than I did. Like, yeah. you sound like you could spot the ball, put it in a Dixie cup. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little more about that. Like, what does command mean for you as a coach and a player versus control? Yeah, so, you know, uh, like I kind of stated before, I think you have to have control before you can develop command. So some guys, they, they want to be able to be pinpoint with their fastball and work it an inch off the corner this way and work at arm side with their two-seamer to the other side of the plate. And that's just not realistic. We need to master our ability to throw strikes because that's going to get hitters on their heels. And there is such a thing as throwing too many strikes. And and if that looks like the the numbers are saying that, we'll adjust and and we'll find a different way to attack hitters. But um, too many pitchers get so obsessed with the the number of pitches they throw and being able to act like they're a major league pitcher when in reality they just don't throw enough strikes right so yeah we like to have that strike percentage around you know 65 percent I think 70 percent is a goal that a lot of people make and I just don't think in game that's possible um I was actually looking at our numbers last year that's what the big league average is 65 percent right yeah Yeah. and it's in that's but that's also taking into consideration swings and misses if you actually look at zone percentage I think like Trevor Bauer is like 46 percent um so there's two different training aspects, right? There's the one of let's be able to get into a bullpen setting and maybe we're throwing at less than 100% and you can just throw strikes like a major league pitcher can when he warms up. Yeah. You don't have the bad arm side misses. You don't have the, the terrible yanks that go to the backstop. You got to be able to be around the plate. But we, I, I kind of differentiate fastball with off speed. For me, I want our guys working towards fastball command. Let's get the control down. Let's work on the fastball command. With their off-speed pitches, we have two zones. It is throw the crap out of it with stuff and intent through the strike zone because if you do that and you have good shape to your slider, it has good spin, it's always going to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And, and maybe you feel the same way, and you could tell me if you agree or disagree, but I don't want our pitchers to try to locate their slider. 
just throw it hard, throw it sharp, and it's going to be really hard to hit because the shape is going to, the shape of the pitch is going to correlate directly with the location. Because if you're a right-handed pitcher, for instance, and you're facing a right-handed hitter, where do you typically want to throw your slider? Down and away, right? Down and away, working through the strike zone. And if you throw that slider down and away, it's going to have the right spin on it. Yeah. And the ones that back up on you that catch the, the right-handed hitter's elbow, it probably didn't have the right spin, right? And then you get really, really good, and you can start to backdoor stuff. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a whole yeah. other level. And then we have throw it for a strike, and we have bounce it. That's all we do. You're either going to throw this breaking ball for a strike or you're going to throw it on top of the plate. You're going to try to get a swing and a miss in, a, in an 0-2 or 1-2 count or count where we have a base open and, you know, and we're, we're willing to walk the guy if he's able to, to do a good job and lay off that pitch. So we really, really simplify with our pitchers. Yeah. And I think that I think it, it's really, really hit home with them. It, you know how hard it is to look, I'm going to backdoor this slider and just catch the outside corner. Come on. That, how many pitchers in the major leagues can do that? Not many. But if you watch Major League Pitching and you look at the stuff that guys have, they just throw the heck out of it, let it catch the wide of the zone, say, here, hit it. And that's kind yeah. of the philosophy we've taken with our off-speed stuff. And, then again, with your fastball, there is a time where you do have to command it. And, again, the, the slower you throw, the softer you are, the more you probably have to pitch inside. And, and maybe the more you do have to use your fastball, you know, because guys are going to be expecting the opposite. So, yeah. um, for me – I was I dominated the glove side of the plate. So like into righties, which my most common matchup, you face a lot more righties than lefties. Yeah, for sure. And it was really, really easy for me to throw inside. And it's so effective left on right. But when I threw my two seam fastball, I couldn't I, I in my third year pro ball, I couldn't really locate it on the black away. I kinda threw it middle and let the tail take it to where it was supposed to go and I gave a lot of home runs, so sometimes <laughs> it didn't go where it was supposed to go. Dude, well, it's funny, all the stuff you're, t like, because, I mean, I share, like, pretty much the exact same sentiment, like, when I teach kids pitch sequencing and, and where they need to throw their curveball. So, all right, you have a new curveball. You, now you throw a changeup. You're going to throw it down the middle, and you're going to throw that maybe first pitch, and when you're behind the count, you're going to bounce it when you're 0-2 probably, maybe 1-2 if you have a base open, something yeah, like that. Uh -huh. And then 0-1 or 1-2, that location is on the outer third, breaking like you said it's breaking away from the hitter and that's like borderline ball strike where they they take it they're going to strike out some of the mm -hmm. times yeah if they take it it's going to be ball sometimes if they swing it almost all the time they're going to either ground out or swing and miss yeah and just those three locations like mm -hmm. those are probably all you need and i know for a fact i as a player still to the very last day of my career had a really tough time finding that middle one the one that breaks where it's borderline yeah. ball strike uh -huh. away and i was a curveball guy not a slider guy but that was a really hard in-between. I could throw for a strike yeah. some of the time. I could bounce it most of the time. That one that's in-between is tough to feel for. But yeah. you just need those three locations, and that's still three for each pitch. That's like nine locations yeah. you got to match. Uh -huh. match. That's not a small task. That's a lifelong task. It was for me. Yeah. Like, so that, I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and then, like you said, as far as, like, I don't think enough people – understand themselves as pitchers as far as arm side glove side like you said yeah. i was an arm side pitcher mm -hmm. i was amazing at going into righties if you wanted me to if a catcher called a fastball into a lefty i was like nah yeah i ain't making that I'm not, pitch I'm not catching it that might barrel. be the right pitch <laughs> in, in theory but that pitch is going to be in the middle of the plate nine out of ten times uh -huh. and i'm not i'm just not going to take that chance i'm just going to stick to my strength and go glove side yeah um even if that's not like pitch sequence wise or like effective velocity wise the right thing to do by the book 
I just know myself too well that, yeah. like you said, that's going to be a home run. So yep. I don't want to, I don't want to choose a home run. Yeah. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about calling pitches. And we do a little mix of both. I'll call pitches, but our catchers are both seniors now. I've had one of them for three years as a Juco guy and John Seachin, um, I've had him now going in year four. They both do a really, really good job. They're both very cerebral with their, their ability to think through hitting and, um, and sequencing and tunneling and all that stuff. Um, but sometimes like when I'm in the dugout, our pitchers, I like to do a good job of getting them to learn on the go and explaining why we might have done something or why we didn't do something or maybe what I did wrong. Hey, I should have called this pitch. That's on me, right? But I think sometimes when you get when you get into a situation in the game as a pitch caller, you want to throw a certain pitch. But it goes back to what you said. What if the guy can't do it? Yeah. You might know it's a great time to bust him inside. There is no way he's going to get to that fastball. But if your if your pitcher can't do it, yeah. you have to you have to adjust and say, you know what? I love to be able to do this right now. That's not his strength. That's not what he's good at. He's probably going to shake me anyways. So let's throw what he wants to throw. And like we give when I call pitches, our guys know they have a hundred percent authority to shake. And and regardless of the result of that next pitch, um, typically the conversation is just, hey, why did you shake? What did you see? And then it's okay all good you know yeah. and then it gets pitchers the confidence to know that they can call their own game and they're in control the game can't start without them throwing the baseball and if they throw something they don't want to throw just like you just talked about yeah. you probably already lost you know you're probably yeah. done so and I think it's a good way of thinking about it because really as a coach or as a pitcher or as a catcher you're not calling pitches you're calling executable pitches yeah uh-huh. and so on any given day like you know if it, maybe it's like your Thursday and you're a little bit tired or it's my Saturday and all I have today is a fastball to my glove side, and I can bounce a curveball. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Those are the two pitches you can yeah. call from. You yeah. can't call fat curveball down the middle. You can't call changeup on the outside black. Like, I don't. that's not on the table today of things you can call. So to call, like, theoretical pitches just just doesn't make sense. It's just yeah. going to get you hurt. Yeah. And, and like you said about conviction, if a pitcher's not believing in what he's throwing, I mean, how many times have you in your, your day – throwing something you're iffy about and the yeah. guy destroys it and uh-huh. you're like well i'm even more iffy <laughs> yeah and, and usually it's you usually you got to go with your first thought if yeah. your first thought is to throw that pitch that's that's kind of my rule throw it because yeah. you start second guessing yourself and um yeah i've done it you've done it you think about it you overthink it you get too cute and maybe it just results in a walk but you're like god dang i should have just thrown this it's yeah um funny story I actually threw in our last fall World Series game. We ran out of pitching because we played extra innings. So okay. um, I have I, I still play catch almost every day. Um, I'll mess around. What's, I don't, your spin I rate? What's your spin rate nowadays? <laughs> I, I throw. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty low guy now. I'm about 2,100 in my fastball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I play catch with all my lessons, and I mean that could be like 900 throws in a day for me. Yeah, but uh, I'm always throwing our radar guns on our wall, yeah. and it's always facing me, not our pitcher. So I'm like throwing. 839 mile per hour throws uh back every day it's funny all right go ahead so i come into the game and the team i'm pitching for has a one-run lead in the the last fall world series game so this is like october 27th or something like that i come in yeah like i i I put on one of our guys cleats i'm literally wearing my practice shorts and a practice bp top with cleats on um i get out there i get our first hitter out on a changeup and changeup was my big time pitch i mean just arm side fade i mean i could throw it right down the middle Again, it was always going to do what it was supposed to do. It was always drop 8-10. Yeah. And get him out. Then I fade. That was a right-handed hitter. 
I face a lefty, uh, one of our sophomore outfielders. I strike him out on a fastball, um, up in the zone. Two outs, nobody on. We're going to win the game, right? Yeah. And our pitchers love it, like, because they get to see coach, like, compete, you know? Yeah. And I and I don't want to go out there and be bad. No, like, you can't turn that off. No. So then I go infield single to one of our freshman uh, freshman infielders. I throw a little 2-1 slider. Um, you know, I was like, hey, that's yeah, I'm going to throw a little 2-1 slider. I'm not going to let you beat me on a fastball. Chops up the middle, infield single. Okay, so runner on first. In my mind, right, I'm so confident. Hey, I got, I got Ryan Fish coming up. He's a transfer from. Sorry, sorry Ryan. <laughs> he's a transfer from UTRGV Division One down there in, in, in the WAC. We were just talking about. Okay. And uh, John Seachin's catching me, my, my senior catcher, right? I've had him for for, for three years now, going on four. He goes first pitch changeup, and like that's there's no way Ryan Fish is gonna hit a first pitch changeup. He's gonna swing through it. Then he goes, I shake, I shake off. He goes slider, and I shake that too. I got arrogant, right? I'm like, no, I'm gonna pound him inside. Okay, I want to pound him inside. I throw the fastball in. It was in. It just wasn't 92. He hit it out. He, they walked me off. <laughs> no Not way. even lying. That's a true story. This, oh, this happened man. two months ago. They walked me off. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, John, that pitch was in, wasn't it? He's like, yeah, but you throw 84 now. <laughs> so, so I got walked off. They dog pile. I, I'm like, kind of have a smile. I don't even really know how to act. And, I, and the, the dugout I walked back to, there's like seven pitchers in there, and they're like staring at me, like staring me down. Like, are you kidding me? And I didn't even know what to say. So, yeah, the last pitch of our fall season, I gave up a walk-off true run home run to one of our seniors. So. Yikes. And it's stuff like that where you're like, well, you know, like how are you going to get him out at the end of the day? Were you going to get him out on a change-up? Were you going to get out, out on I should I should have thrown I should have thrown three straight change-ups or three straight sliders or slider change-up, slider change-up. I should have never threw him a fastball, but – I was arrogant. I, I was like, I'm gonna. I there's no way he can get to this fastball, because my mind still tells me it's 92, mm-hmm. but it's not 92 anymore. So he got to it and he hit it out. So. Well, it, that's a. It's an interesting topic as well. I think that's when, like, I don't know if you hit a point like that, but I hit a point where my last year, my arm was bugging me and my stuff wasn't as good. I was still, like, I was still pitching. I was still happy to pitch. I just, I think my spin rate was down. My velocity was down, maybe like a tick. Yeah. But you don't know that until, like, the results start to change. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, for me, uh, balls that I knew guys would swing and miss at, they didn't swing and miss at. Guy Balls that would be, like, a pop-up or a line drive. Mm-hmm. And then, just like you said, like, in my brain it's still 92, but in reality it's 84, and you're still pitching the same way. Yeah. And I think people don't understand that you see, like, your favorite big league star, and he's having a down year. Maybe his stuff starts to, his starts to decline. And suddenly he's getting hit, and you're like – why doesn't he adjust? I think it it really hits you fast where you're like, I'm still pitching the same way I always pitched. Like, I know how to get hitters out my way, and I'm still doing that, but I'm getting killed. Yeah. And then it's like, how do you completely, like, revamp who Ryan Copeland is all of a sudden? You know what yes, I mean? You, like, swallow you can't turn that off. Yeah. You can't turn that off. Like, it it, it kind of happened with Lester this past year. Mm-hmm. Remember, Lester was terrible for, like, the first half of the season. Um, you know, people are talking about taking him out of the rotation. Well, I think, you know, he's not throwing 95 anymore. It's 88 to 90. He probably throws a lot more cutters. He has to pitch inside a whole lot more than he probably ever did. Yeah. And I think the last half of the year, he was really, really good. And, um, you know, he was really, really good down the stretch. He was really good in that playoff game. They ended up losing. I think they like, gave up one run in seven mm-hmm. innings. Um, all while the stuff is just not there anymore. But it probably took him some time to figure yeah. it out. And it probably took a little bit of pride to say, you know what? 
it's time. I'm just not the guy yeah. anymore. So like I can still have a very good big league career for the last few years of my of my career. It's just not going to be as the same guy. And that's happened kind of to Kershaw and yeah. guys have to adjust and you're right. You, you, my for me, my big velocity decrease happened after my thoracic outlet surgery. I okay. came back after having thoracic outlet decompression surgery. That's when they take out the rib, and uh, it, it's pretty common now. You hear a lot of guys having it. Matt Harvey had it, Dylan G. Um, Chris Carpenter, the former Cardinal, had it. Chris right? Young was another big yeah, one. He, uh -huh. like, self-diagnosed. Yeah. He really, yeah. like, was soliciting doctors all over the you know world who has to try it to is, find is it. is the Fultz guy from the Sixers. He oh, can't really? shoot. The, the basketball player. It's crazy. First overall pick from Kentucky. He, like, he like they, they thought he had the yips. Like, man, what happened? He just can't shoot anymore. Yeah, but he, just he can't. There's there's an issue with the nerves up there. So I had that surgery and I came back um, and I was a senior science. So I rushed back. I was nowhere near ready, but yeah. I had to pretend I was. And yeah, the there was no more 91, 92s. And, and as soon as that happened and I was trending down with velocity and the game of baseball was trending up. And when that happens, probably a pretty bad combination for your, your job. Yeah. So that was all, that so was all you, she wrote. Did you have that adjustment period where you're like, I feel like I'm still like this is how I know how to pitch, but it's just not working. Cause it's, like I said, I feel like for guys like you or guys like me, we don't have a long chance to figure that out. Like yeah. John Lester, will get half a season, yeah. Oh, yeah. and he figured it out because mm -hmm. like you know you trust guys to do that. But a lot of guys they hit that patch, and they have to adapt. But then, yeah, I think my adjustment had to come not so much because of my um, my stuff diminishing or my velocity diminishing. It was more so as I got through the minor leagues and got out of A ball and rookie ball where I'm facing 18 and 19 year olds and I was 22 to get into much more polished high A double A hitters. Um, those fastballs in at 91, all of a sudden the hands are quick enough to get to it. Yeah. You know, the, the change ups that you kind of just threw middle that in college and in the early stages of the minor leagues guys swung through the hitters at that higher level, the minor league started to recognize more and they mm -hmm. would take them or they'd be on time for them or they'd be able to you know, shoot, the, shoot it the other way. So I think for me, it was the hitters getting better and all of a sudden be like, whoa, you know, my stuff might be the same, but these guys are pretty good. And one thing that nobody talks about from college to pro ball, the strike zone difference. It is unbelievable. It's a big difference. Oh my God. I mean, I remember being in my first year and, and I went into my first year pretty confident, you know, after having a really good year at Illinois State. You know, you got drafted, you feel good. And, like, you throw pitches sometimes, like, kind of right down the middle of the plate. And they're just a ball. Yeah. And, like, early on you're like, uh, stings. And then you just – you watch big league pitchers. What they do? They just catch the ball and you're just like, okay, fine. Like, it's just how it is, I guess. And, like, so you had to learn how to get guys out inside the zone much more because guys don't chase and the strike zones are so small – you're not you're not getting more than a half a ball in the corner. Yeah. Even at the lowest level of the minor leagues, let alone in AAA and in the big leagues, when those guys are graded with all that technology and everything. So yeah, yeah that was the biggest adjustment for me. And uh, hitters just got really really good, and I just wasn't good enough anymore. <laughs> you know. We all run aground someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so any uh, any last uh, so we've covered a lot of really good topics today. Um, are there ways people can follow up with you and kind of peek into what UIS is doing? Or um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Coach Ramirez, our head coach, and, my, and myself, we're both pretty active on, on Twitter. Um, you know, some, we'll post a lot about our program. Um, so, yeah, that's a good way to kind of find out more about UIS baseball, what we're all about. Um, obviously, you can go to UISPrairieStars.com and, um, you know, parents, potential recruits, people just in the community that um, – 
again, want to learn more about Division II baseball, want to learn more about our program, can go on there and kind of do some research on not only our program, but our athletic department, um, our school. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, very good place. And uh, we have our first pitch banquet coming up here in January at Boondocks Pub. That's uh, down there on the other side of uh, Springfield. Last year we had Paul DeYoung as our, as our guest speaker um, through my relationship with coaching him at Illinois State. Um, this year it's going to be Phil Maton. He's a, he's a relief pitcher in the big leagues with the uh, San Diego Padres. Okay. He's a local kid. So um, every year we kind of have stuff like we have a, we have a we have a hundred inning game that we just had this past year as a big fundraiser. We'll have our first pitch banquet here in about a month, and then uh, yeah, our guys will be back on campus, and uh, we'll be ready to roll here in mid-February. And I think we have 27 or 28 home games this year. The new field turf certainly helps that cause, nice. and uh, so we'll be out here playing um, as early as uh, late February. I think our first home series is February 23rd, 24th. Oh yeah. It'll be cold, but uh, it can't really be any colder than it was last year, honestly. So, yeah. um, that, and that's when you can kind of pad your numbers as a pitching staff, right? <laughs> there you go. Hitters don't want to hit. The barrels are freezing yeah. cold. They got the, they're putting the barrels on the heaters all, all game. So, yeah, um, I think we do a really, really good job here. Um, and and what, I would tell, what I would tell potential recruits is if you're going to go the Division II route, I think the University of Illinois Springfield and our baseball program is the way to go in the Midwest. I think um, – I think you know, we're obviously coming off of a great year. Um, the challenge for us will be to, to uh, be able to do that year in and year out. I think that's what some of the really good programs in our conference have done. Um, and, and again, it's, it's high quality baseball. Um, and our division last year, at one time, four of the seven teams in our division were ranked in the top 25 in the country. That's um, awesome. Between Southern Indiana, Bellarmine, us, and, uh, and U Indy. Um, when we played UND, they were number seven in the country. So, um, yeah, very, very good baseball. And, and, again, I think from a developmental standpoint, we're going to do everything from, a, from that standpoint that a Power Five is going to do. We're going to make sure that we get our players from point A to point B as best as we can. And, and point A is the guy they are now, the, the pitcher you're training in, in your facility in Bloomington. Um, to the guy that they can possibly become. In point B, we don't really know what that can be. That's their ceiling, right? Yeah. So that, but that's our goal. And we might not, our place might not be as sexy as you know some Division One powerhouse down south. But I can promise the players that come into our program, they're going to get coached up, and, and we're going to develop them um, as be, as best as we can, and as well as any as any place in the country, no doubt about that. And it'll be a good mixture of technology and uh, you know old school. Competitiveness and and uh, I think it, I think it's a good mix and uh, yeah we're excited about where we're at but uh, we still know we have a long way to go as a program and we're going to keep working towards that goal so nice well uh, hopefully you could hear I mean just the the wealth of, of pitching knowledge from Coach Copeland here I mean we could probably talk for five hours no we, we kept sitting here um, but you know one of the things that really sticks out at, at me is just how much he individualizes everything like there's the cookie cutter stuff can be really tough if you go to a program and you just don't fit the way they want you to do every single thing. And there's a lot of rigidity in the fact that you say, hey, you can do your arm care this way. You can do weighted balls. If you want to do a little drive line, like whatever it is you want that makes you the best version of you, I think that's really an underrated thing for you know, a coach to be so open-minded about. So I'm sure that's why you guys are on to something. It's why you guys are winning almost 50, 50 games. Um, and just the competition, like you're letting guys compete, you're letting them be themselves, you're teaching them what you learned throughout your pro days and, and you know, your coaching experience. And I think that's, 
it's a pretty winning combination, man. Yeah, yeah. You gotta let guys be themselves, and you gotta let guys figure things out for themselves. And yeah, everything we do from a training standpoint, and it's just a bunch of recommendations. It's kind of like being an offensive coordinator in football, right? Here's a few plays. Here's some here's some things you can do. You tell me what you like to do, and then I'll come back and formulate your plan around what you like to do and what you think works for you, and we'll figure it out together. I think you have to let guys figure things out for themselves first and foremost. I think that's the biggest mistake coaches make is they want they want to be the one that figures it out for them, and it's just not possible. We both yeah. know that. you gotta, you, you got to be able to go through you those. Do all that. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Otherwise, you guys won't get better otherwise. So. Got you. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show, man. Absolutely. My this pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Great time, great facility. So we'll see you here next week. Um, I'm going to put uh, Coach Copeland's Twitter handle. I'll put some links uh, to UIS Baseball in the YouTube description and in the uh, podcast show notes. So remember, if you don't already, definitely subscribe and uh, just tune in for more great guests like uh, Coach Copeland here. And we'll see you here next week on Dear Baseball Gods.